You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Greetings, Anthem Church. This is Pastor Sam. I want to thank you for listening to this sermon series on Nehemiah. Unfortunately, the original message that was uh, recorded for Church in the Park was lost on Nehemiah chapter 5 and 6. But thankfully, the day before at a missions conference, I was teaching the same text. And so the context was a little bit different. It was following up some sermons that revolved around discipleship. And it was the last sermon of the day to really charge people to go forth boldly. And so while the context uh, is different, the same, the text that I was teaching is very much the same. So I appreciate your grace as you listen to this message and still hope that you are truly blessed and encouraged by it. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Nehemiah. And so uh, if Psalms kind of hang a left, Job, keep, you know, left, and then you'll hit Nehemiah. We're just going to look at chapters five and six. And so uh, here's the thing is, is this reality that, that you heard clearly from like the first session that we need to, we need to be about making disciples, it was fun. I got to teach the, the breakout on how to practically do that. But a reality that, that hearing what to do doesn't necessarily result in like actually doing it. Because nobody argued with me in the breakout like, I don't know if we should make disciples or not. Everybody agrees we should make disciples. But the reality is that, that it's not getting done like we hope. And, and I can say, hey, you need to go out those doors and there's our mission field out there. We need to get to it. And y'all be like, yeah. And then the football game will be on this afternoon. You're like, after the game. And then pretty soon next week, you'll be like, what was that conference about again? It's just, maybe you're holier than me, but that's just the reality for me that you can get me worked up in emotions and I can dedicate a day to something like this and then it just kind of wears off. I mean, I was like that, that, that typical camp kid, that camp high. They even have a phrase for it. So you know it's a real thing. It's like you go to camp and you get all excited and then you come back and the real world just beats the tar out of you and you got to live the other 51 weeks of the year and it's just a challenge. And so what I'm saying is I want to anchor us in something I believe is clear here in Nehemiah that will go beyond just kind of an emotional or even just the, the knowing the right things. And I think we're going to see in Nehemiah what it looks like to really be on mission, to be unwavering, bold, just unshaken, undeterred. And those, when you see someone that is like just undeterred, just unshaken, I don't know, for me, I am just so... Like, it just does something inside. One of those, uh, I don't know if you watch movies, my wife wanted to educate me, so she had me watch the Band of Brothers kind of series, the war films, you know what I'm talking about? And one of my characters, he wasn't the most moral guy, but one of the guys I really appreciated uh, was Lieutenant Spears. And there's a couple scenes I want to bring to your attention to, and I'm talking about like just this unshakable bull guy. There's one scene where he goes up to Private Blythe, who's just kind of like all worked up and fearful. And uh, he had hidden like in a foxhole on, you know, when they kind of dropped him down and just refused to fight, refused to join into the war initially because he was scared. And I love <laughs> Spears. Lieutenant Spears just looks at him. He's like, you know why you were scared, Blythe? He's like, you still think we're making it out of here alive. The sooner you can come to grips that you're, you know, you're going to die, then you can get up and fight like a man. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like that. And I love like the Christian principles there. It's not that hard to like, once you just die to yourself, that's when you can get in the game. But, but he challenges in this. And this is a guy that lived by it. And one of the most epic scenes in the whole series is when the troops are fighting and Spears, this American guy, they get cut off from their other troops that are halfway across town. And some of you maybe are going there in this scene and they, they get cut off. They lose all radio com- communication and they need to get a message to the other American troops on the other side. And in the middle of the city is just enemy territory, tanks, guns, people everywhere. And they're like, oh, we need to, we need to communicate this, but the radio's down. And Spears like, I'll go tell them. And he just takes off, and I believe this is a true like account of what happened. He takes off running through the enemy lines, goes and delivers a message to them. And you ready? And then he comes back. <laughs> like uh, it was, I mean, just the comments people make. I mean, that guy just bold, crazy undeterred. And I look at guys like that and I'm like, oh, I want to be like that because I'm not naturally like that. I grew up with all sisters. I'm just a wuss, you know? And, and, you, and you see a guy like uh, Spears and you're just, oh, I want that. And, and I believe that you're going to look at Nehemiah and you're going to see something even more spectacular. There's just this unwavering boldness, undeterred. And the reason I'm going here is because we're going to leave and it's like, how do you be undeterred? How do you just continue to walk in and just be bold? And we're going to look at a guy that really exemplifies that. And so this is going to be, I I understand you guys, if you're from Cornerstone, you've been in Romans for a little while. I said that and some people are like a little while, you know? So here's a little bit of, you know, fresh air from the Old Testament. You're going to look at Nehemiah. And I don't have time for the whole context, but you're talking about a conquered people. The Jews had really walked away uh, for the nation of Israel from the Lord. They hadn't followed false gods, and it was just not going well. And so God just gave them over. And so here they are, conquered and in captivity. And they're just Jerusalem, this uh, just city that was supposed to be set apart. The walls had been broken down, I think, for 140, 141 years, laid in ruins. And then Nehemiah hears about this and all of a sudden like gets broken over it and to the point where he's the the king's cupbearer and the king's like what's wrong you know he's like the walls of my people are broken down and the guys he's introing our series you know at Anthem we've been going through Nehemiah he's like that'd be like somebody like today being like I'm just so broken that Abraham Lincoln just got assassinated it's like that was a long time ago. Like you're just now like being broken about that. But, but God has moved him where he's broken. And here's the thing is the king does the unthinkable. He says, go back to a conquered people. He says, go back and rebuild the walls of that city. And, and he asked Nehemiah, like, what do you need? You know, or what do you want to do? And so Nehemiah's like, well, I think we should rebuild the walls. I think you should pay for it. And it's going to take me about 12 years. And the king says to this conquer people, done, go do it. <laughs> you think God's for him, right? God's doing something here with his people. He's not forgotten them. And so here they are, they're back. 
and we're going to look at chapters five and six, but in four, you see that there's these other people. Uh, we're going to see them again come up in chapter six. They're there just mocking them like, oh, some wall you got there. If a little fox runs up on it, it's going to fall down. And they're just trash talking them. They're like, we ought to just beat you all up. And so they're having to work on a wall that they're trying to build. And they're, they're so, like the enemy is there that they have their weapons strapped to them while moving rocks to build a wall, okay? Things are bad, right? Things are, things are bad, but it's, it's not only opposition on the outside, there's some on the inside. Chapter five of Nehemiah. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us uh, get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of, a f- of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And now our flesh is, is, is the flesh of our brothers and our children is their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved but is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields in our vineyards. Okay, time out. <laughs> when I said it was bad, I meant it was really bad. Okay? So not only are they a conquered people, there's the king who's imposing such a large tax on them. They're saying, we're having to, to borrow just to pay the king's tax. We're having to sell our field in order to, to pay the tax. We're, we're having to sell even our kids into slavery to pay this. And then when it comes time to try and make food for our own selves, we don't have our fields then at that point to even get food. And so things are, are bad. There's a famine, there's tax, you got enemies are trying to build a wall. Like, do you get the idea that it's, it's a challenge? And here's the reality that you got to pick up the subtle languages. We're going to keep reading the trials are only compounded due to the ungodly people taking advantage. What was happening here is, is other people, other Jewish people, were charging interest on these loans that they were giving. Like, oh, you need to pay the king's tax? Here, I'll help you pay it. Just give it back to me plus interest. And so they're taking already a, a challenging situation and making it worse. I mean, you understand, it's hard enough building a wall and fighting those outside. Now you're doing battle with those on the inside. <laughs> We're getting ready to go out there. And sometimes half the battle's in here with God's people. And that's the reality. If you're making observations, you can look back here. Evil exists even within God's people. We're talking about going and ministering to the darkness and the brokenness. <laughs> Guess what? Some of that's right here in your church. I'll tell you this. Some of the most vile things that have ever been said to me as a pastor have been from other church people. That's just the truth. <laughs> like some of the most uh, toughest things. And that's to my face. I don't even know what they say behind my back, right? <laughs> some of the other pastors are like, yeah, it's, it can get rough. Like with, with church people, just gossip, slander. Like there's just this disturbing the church unity. And so we want to be on mission out there in a broken world with broken people and the recognition that there's brokenness within the church. And honestly, this shouldn't surprise you. You look at the epistles, like the letters that Paul was writing, this is how broken the church was. Let's just take the 
church of Corinth, they were messed up, right? He had to write to them about sexual immorality. I, we don't have time for that. But communion, you ever celebrate communion as a church? In the Corinth church, there were people who were taking communion, going to the communion's table, and just having a full-on meal there to the point where when people came to, to take bread in remembrance of Jesus, there wasn't any. People were taking the cup and they were getting drunk at communion. Pastor, you think your church is rough. I'm telling you, they get rougher, right? Like, it's not the Corinthian church. Like, that's God's people. And Paul's having to write them a letter. Hey, when it comes to communion, you probably shouldn't get drunk. Just thought I'd let you know that. It's like, really? That's not an unspoken thing? Like, that shouldn't be an assumed? Okay, so when we talk about brokenness within God's people, Nehemiah's people, broken. They're making a bad situation, making it worse. Corinthians, broken. My guess is there's brokenness, broken relationships. And so what do you do with that? Just telling the, the people in the, the discipleship kind of break out. That's the reality, though, that, that people, there's a reason Jesus had to come redeem us. <laughs> that we've been we are broken people. And so I love Proverbs just even acknowledges that, that there, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant of crop comes from the strength, uh, strength of oxen. What that means is when you, you get oxen, they're good. They're going to help you plow your field. And they're also going to poop in your barn. And you got to clean it up. People, people are great. Except when they're not great and they make messes. It's a reality that, that, man, God wants to use people to reach people, and, and people themselves need a little bit of love and, and shepherding. And so that's par for the course. And so there's going to be messes. There's going to be junk, not just with oxen, but with people. And we see that right away. So I want us to acknowledge it. And so what, what, how, what, how does he respond to the brokenness in here? What does Nehemiah do? It says in verse 6, I was very angry <laughs> when I heard the outcry at these words. I love it. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, the other. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have been brought back our Jewish brothers who are, have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. This idea that God's brought us back here, we're doing something, and now people are having to get sold off into slavery just to pay their bills. And he says, they were silent and could not find a word to say, verse 8. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not walk in fear of God to prevent the taunts of nations and our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and sisters, we're lending them money and grain. As for you guys, let us abandon this exacting interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And it goes on in verse 12. Then they said, we will restore these things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. He ain't done though. Then I called the priests, this is Nehemiah, and I made them swear to do as they had promised. And I shook out the fold of my garment. I said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his, uh, his labor who does not keep his promise. So may uh, he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen. 
and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Oh, I love that. <laughs> like, aren't you just like, there's injustice. What does he do? He said, time out. Come here. Everybody come here. Listen, this is not happening. And they're like, you're right. And they're like, come here. Swear to them. We swear. Okay, today, boom, turn, repent. Just that boldness. I'm telling you, I can be a little bit of a, a people pleaser at time. And I'm like, well, maybe... Nehemiah just goes right after it, hits it head on, not in these passive aggressive comments. He just went right there, blows them up. And I love, do you see their response to their sin? They said, yeah, we're going to do that. We swear it. We promise. They turn from it. You got to give it to the people. They were doing something wrong, but when it was brought to their attention, they didn't excuse it. They didn't dismiss it. They just own it. And they repent. And here's the thing. Why are we looking at this? And it's going to continue. But I believe that you want to be unwavering. You want to walk in boldness. You want to go out there. And you want to be on mission. And I'm saying, look at Nehemiah. Was he not all those things? How? And I believe that his identity is firmly rooted in God. It's, it's not a knowledge thing. It, 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 so much as it is, oh, what should I do or what should I do? Nehemiah, his identity, he knows he is anchored in his identity and he is anchored in his calling. Again, if you remember the context of the book, God has gone before him. He's a conquered slave to the king, more or less, and the king just gave him 12 years of vacation and committed to paying for the whole rebuilding of the city. Right? God has gone before him, and so he knows that who he serves, and he knows what he's called to do. And so when he sees something in opposition to that, he goes, nope, time out, not going to have this. It's his identity that keeps him anchored, and I'm saying, where we're going, why we're looking at Nehemiah, because if we want to go out and live on mission and see bold things happen, call out sin, be confident. We have to understand our identity. And look at as he continues, because make this case. In chapter 6, now that Sanballat and Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the walls and there was no breach left to them. He goes on to say, although at the time I had not yet set the doors and gates, so they're seeing that this is almost getting finished. And so what they do is they say, hey, why don't you come and meet with us and let's just talk this out. And what they were intending to do was harm and cause delay in the rebuilding. And so here, how does Nehemiah respond to those people? In verse 3, he says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner every time. Now, they're persistent. You've got to give them something for their persistence, right? But does that make sense that, that they're trying to, to say, come on, let's have a conversation. Let's detract from the work. And Nehemiah is saying, I'm not going to be distracted from what God's calling me to do. Nehemiah, here's the thing. Nehemiah faced opposition. Jesus faced opposition. Christian, you will face opposition. 
I don't, I don't want you to be surprised when you go out here and you start living for a king that's not of this world that you might face a little opposition. In fact, if you never face opposition in life, if you, that is to say, if you never meet Satan on the road of life, perhaps it's because you're heading in the same direction. Well, that stung a little bit, didn't it? Somebody's over here tweeting that. And let me say, that's a Pastor Tom quote, if you remember him from back in the day. If you never meet Satan on the road to life, perhaps it's because you're heading the same direction. You will and should face opposition. If anything, it should be recognition that you're doing it right. I remember getting called out, you know, at University of Northern Iowa. We were in a room with all the other campus ministry leaders. And I'm telling you, you got all kinds of kinds. And I remember them having an ethics meeting of how we should interact to each other. And I don't remember a whole lot. I think I took care of some emails and I wasn't a very good uh, at paying attention. I didn't realize that they held the whole meeting just for me <laughs> until afterwards. And they said, Stan, we'd like to talk to you. And I said, oh. Um, and there was two groups that came up to me. So we got a problem. Opposition. They said, I said, well, what, I'm sorry, what's, what's the issue? And one of the, the gals who was leading her ministry went first and said, um, one of your students had the audacity to tell one of our students that if they don't put their trust in Jesus Christ, that they will spend eternity from, away from him in hell. If they don't trust Jesus, they can't have any hope of heaven. Your student told our student that. And I thought, uh-huh, <laughs> like, and the problem is, <laughs> oh, you're serious. <laughs> I walked out of there, and I had a student leaders meeting that week. And I walked <laughs> up, and I felt like one of these Paul Rhodes coaching moments. I'm like, I am so proud to be your pastor. I'm like, you keep telling people that Jesus Christ is the only way. You should face opposition. I should not be able to go to a campus ministry leaders meeting with other people that don't claim Jesus is the only way and we should not be getting along. There should be opposition. If everybody loves us when we're doing this, we're not doing it right. There should be opposition. They crucified our Savior. What do you expect is going to happen? Jesus said, you will face these things. And Nehemiah is saying, I'm going to face it, I'm going to face it head on, but I know what God is calling me to do. You will face opposition when you leave here. For me, Nehemiah was just an opportunity for the Lord to provide. And so an opposition, in some ways for me, has taken an indicator that you're doing it right. And so how do you stay rooted because here's the thing you might try and say hey over lunch i'm going to do a, a bible study in the break room you might go and, and begin to love on a coworker, and another coworker sends you just a nasty text message or, or trying to get on your skin what are you going to do when a family member when you try and love them and you serve them and they just make a nagging comment about something you didn't do absolutely perfect it's going to happen. <laughs> the promise to us as Christians is not that we would be free of trial. The promise is that we would have a way to endure it. Okay? The, we're not promised your best life now. <laughs> Some of you caught that reference, right? That's not a promise. You can't. How are you going to tell me that it's your best life now? 
and have a picture of a crucifix hanging in your sanctuary. Come on. No, the, the, the reality of the Christian life that is the best is yet to come. The promise, the hope is in heaven. And so our best life now, no, that, that what we're promised in following the footsteps of Jesus saying, hey, don't be surprised if the world treats you exactly like it treated me. And so we're going to face trials, but Nehemiah is anchored in his identity. And here's where we're going with this whole thing as we get ready to leave. As I would tell you this, don't try and be like Nehemiah. Curious? <laughs> don't try and be like Nehemiah. Because I'm telling you, you can't be Nehemiah. You can't be that bold. You can't be on that unwavering. Unless, <laughs> I know me. <laughs> And if I tried to be like Nehemiah, that might last a day or two. Because here's the thing, is me, for me, I'm a big like people pleaser. I just want to be loved. And it's really hard to be bold and undeterred and unwavering when you're just trying to please people. I don't know if anybody else struggles that. It's really hard to be like Nehemiah when you're prone to want to live comfortably. That you don't like things that rock the boat too much. I'm saying, don't try and be like Nehemiah. And let me explain what I mean. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and get neither. What I'm saying is, don't aim to be bold. Don't aim to be like Nehemiah. Get God. Get anchored in him, your identity. You'll get on mission along with a whole lot of other things, right? You can't just take one thing and say, oh, we should really just be about this. That's going to wear off. And so if you just try to be like Nehemiah, or if you just try to be on mission, or if you just try and, and just make disciples, I'm telling you, that, or, or John 15, 5 says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he's going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you I know, you're like, really? We brought a guy in to just tell us this. Work with me here, though. It's your identity that is going to inform all of those things. That while it's inspiring to read about guys like Jim Elliott or gals like Amy Carmichael, just these missionaries that have gone before, and I'm saying the numbers are a real thing, that there's billions of people and there's, there's unreached and all those things are, are genuinely things that, that can help also motivate. But what I'm saying is that if we're going to be bold, if we're going to be undeterred, if we're going to be unwavering, we have to have the same source that Jim Elliott had, the same source that Amy Carmichael, the same source that Nehemiah is coming back to. Right? We can't just ride off of what they've done and their stories and, and go and do likewise, but we've got to be rooted in our identity. And what I mean by that is, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by works. So many many can boast that that's, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In Romans 8, I love how the, 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 now that those are in Christ, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. There's no guilt in life. There's no, no fear in death. This is what Christ has done, that we are now heirs to the throne, co-heirs with Christ, that we are known by God, that if, that if God is for you, who can stand against you? 
Man, it's that source of being attached that ordinary unschooled men went out in the book of Acts and saw great movements take place because they knew God and they knew what he was calling them to do. If you understand that God loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you, you think he's going to help you in a break room at work? (laughs) Well, no, I I mean, I'd send my son to die for you, but I'm going to leave you hanging there. (laughs) Come on, right? Like, if God has gone before us, he can be no more loving than he already has through Jesus Christ. And so, in, in terms of just being emboldened and going forth here, you have to remember that God who knows you, loves you, and has drawn you to himself. It, we, we brought, no, in terms of our salvation, again, Pastor Tom, so influential in my life, I love his one-liners. He said, what you brought to your salvation was the sin that makes it necessary. We come broken and God has just redeemed us and brought us in and has given us, not only has he he brought us from, from death to life, he's now looking at us. Farm kid from Podunk, Iowa, he's looking at y'all and saying, I want to invite you to be a part of the mission. It reminds me, like, you've seen the, the sports videos of like these huge varsity hulks, you know, and like this kid, you know, that has some challenging disorder or something that makes them smaller and slower than the rest. That's you, you know? God's like got this varsity match going on. He's like, come on, join the game. Like, I want to invite you to be a part of this. It's already won. <laughs> I don't know if you know how this ends, but God wins, right? And, but he's saying, for right now, I'd love to, I'd love to to invite you in on this. Like, I want to share. That's our God, that he would want to share in in God's plan for us to reach the nations. God's plan for us to reach people is he wants to use people to do that. Come on. He spoke the earth into existence. He could come up with better ways than me and you in break rooms trying to reach our coworkers. And I want, I'm just hoping like with that solar eclipse, like we were right in the path line. I'm like, man, I wish... You know, part of me is like, God, could you just write like a verse, like, you know, John 3, 16, like in the eclipse, like he could do that, right? Like he's making the eclipse. And so God could, could just break it down and just do it a different way. Maybe one of the huge angels, like the old Testament or I, you know, I mean, Saul on the road to Damascus, like bright lights, something God could, but God's looking at us. He's saying, my plan is that you would go and make disciples. I'm with you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that authority, here's how I'm using it. I'm commanding you, commissioning you to go and make disciples. And I'm with you to the very end of age. God is, he knows what's best. And guys, what a privilege it is to be able to join with him in that to be used god doesn't have to but he's giving us an opportunity and it's this reality you look at nehemiah again i the reason going there is i'm just so encouraged by this as we study it at anthem church is you see the boldness you see the unwavering but it comes from an anchored in his identity in his calling i'm saying for you guys as you go from here, 
I don't want you to be anchored in what you ought to do and, and some of the challenges. And, and if you were in my breakout, you're going to get a kick in the pants, right? We're going to do that, like, kind of challenge you to, to be meeting with somebody. That's, that's, that's in place, but, but more motivation than that should be our identity. Does that make sense? That from the overflow of God's love for us, we would turn and, and pour out love to those locally, nationally, globally, that that would be the motivation. Because Lord have mercy if the, if the if, again, I love C.S. Lewis, if the target is just simply missions, then what? We get on a plane and just go do mundane life somewhere else where it's a little bit harder and they don't speak the language? No, the, the goal isn't in the Great Commission, the, the, the imperative command is that you would make disciples. And then that through that, you will go. But, but don't miss the, the command. It is to make disciples right where we're at. And again, that our identity would inform how we do that. And so here's, I'm sorry if you were in the breakout session. This is a little bit repetitive, but I can't stop plucking that one string. And here's my challenge. That if you weren't in there, the question I asked in, uh, in both breakout sessions, the question I asked was this. I said, um, is there anybody right now who you're meeting with on a regular basis that you're meeting up with on a consistent basis, discipling them and pushing them towards Jesus to better know, love, and obey him? And here's the thing, would they know that they're being discipled? So I'm asking you, as a whole, if you weren't in the session, I already asked them and took the poll, but are you personally meeting up with somebody on a regular basis to have spiritual conversation, to love them, and help them better know and love the Lord? I mean, we heard it plain as day from the, the very first session that we're called to make disciples. And so my question is, are you making disciples? Are you doing that? If you want a little pull from our thing, it's, it's, some of you are like, I don't think I am. The quick numbers was in our breakout se- sessions, it was about 10%. One out of 10 people could say, yeah, I'm clearly doing that right now in this season of my life. Guys, there's... What would stop us from, from getting on board and leaving this place and make disciples? And you better believe if you leave this place and can make disciples here in Sheridan, that you'll be able to make them throughout the Midwest and you'll be able to make them all the way overseas. And it's no different. It just, just came back from a trip to, to Southeast Asia. And uh, I'm telling you, the gospel is the gospel. And seeing it applied there, the arguments, they're no different than what I was interacting with a college student or a community person here. Right? And so if we're going to be on mission, if we're going to do that, because it starts with us saying, God, I don't have to fear them. I understand that home is heaven. I understand that we're just here a snippet of time. I trust that you are with me. I trust that you'll provide the words to say that you've given the Holy Spirit to walk with me. Rooted in my identity, I'm going to go and be on mission. May that identity that comes from knowing Jesus be the motivator. And so my challenge to you is that within two weeks, you would find somebody. Within two weeks of leaving here, you would find somebody and you would say, hey, I would love to meet up with you 
I'll buy the coffee, I'll buy the food, whatever it is. I'll meet up with you before school, after practice, whatever it is. I want to meet up with you. And I just simply want to hear about your life, what God's doing, and encourage you towards him, if at all possible. Two weeks to leave here and begin the process of making disciples. And I believe by God's grace, do you understand? That's the, that's, you're like, well, that's a, that's a fun challenge. Uh, guys, that's what Jesus asked his disciples to do. Was it effective? They went from a conquered small group of people hiding in an upper room to became the official religion of the world power within 300 years. Discipleship, if we left here and you just found one person for a year, just one, and then they turned around and did that, I think it's something like within 25 years, the whole world would have been personally discipled. I mean, just grassroots, multiplication beats addition. But again, I, I want to talk about that. That's the, the string I love to, to pluck, but, but we can't do that unless we're rooted in our identity. Nehemiah knows exactly who God's called them to be, knows exactly what God's called them to do, so therefore he can go do it. Cornerstone, people of this conference, I want to be absolutely clear. Jesus Christ bought you with his blood. He's given you a new purpose and a new life, to not to live for, for this world but for his kingdom. And then your prayer is that his kingdom will come here in this place as it is in heaven, that you would surrender and be disciples of him and turn around and be ambassadors and tell other people. That's the clear call. That's what he would have for you to do. And he would say, nothing can stand against my name. I am for you. And so, Cornerstone, I want you to be emboldened by what God has done for you and then we would go from this place and we would genuinely make disciples. And so please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to just read your word, to be inspired by Nehemiah, who is bold, unwavering, in clear mission. And so Lord, would you by your spirit move our hearts, even now, would you give these guys specific names of men and women who they could be pouring into, who they could be discipling and doing the simple work of just doing life with them. Lord, if nothing else, would that be a clear takeaway from our time together in your word? Jesus, we trust you. We trust God that you are good and and we thank you for your son. Um, And God, please, please, would you help others come to know you, love you, and obey with you. And would it truly be to our joy to be on the front lines of seeing that happen? And so, Lord, thank you for inviting us off the bench and into the game to participate in missions both here and around the world. So, God, thank you for the opportunity to your glory and to our joy. We just pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.